If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and today we finally are going to finish this two-chapter section of Scripture centered around the theme of giving. And so we'll, we'll be able to move on to some other stuff. Uh, but, but, but let me just say, and, and Jeff mentioned this last week, I mean, you guys really are awesome. We praise the Lord for you and your faithfulness. Uh, in this area of the Christian life, I mean, you've, you once again proved that uh, with the Albanian Bible Project. Jeff gave the update last week that as of last Sunday, that $71,000 had, had come in for that project. And, and over the course of this week, we got 7000 more. So, so thank you. Praise the Lord uh, for that. So, and you know, and I, I think there's probably... Uh, still more uh, coming in. But you guys are always faithful and, and truly we, we praise the Lord for that. But it's, but it's still always good for us to be reminded of these things. Especially when they come up naturally as we teach through the Bible verse by verse. You know, we don't have to talk about giving all the time because the Bible talks about it enough. And we're going to get to it as God leads us through these book studies. This, obviously, this is one of the great things about expository preaching. We're able to give you the whole counsel of God as it comes up in study and not just you know, talk about our favorite topics or the, the topics that uh, are at the you know, top of our, our hit list at the time. And we we just, get to, just get to give you what God has for us, and, and, and so that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, but today, as we close out chapter 9 and on this section of Scripture on giving, we're going to discuss the truth about prosperity. The truth about prosperity. And in doing that, we're also going to see just a good summary of the, some of the key principles of giving that these two chapters have laid out. But, but I do want to focus on this concept of prosperity and what it means biblically. Because as we saw last week, we reap what we sow, right? That's the law of the harvest. And it's in proportion and it's in kind. But what some false teachers have done with that biblical principle, is pervert it for their own financial gain because they're greedy of filthy lucre. And they teach that you should give so that you can get rich. In fact, many will tell you that God wants you to be rich, but you have to sow to their ministry, of course. That's, that's sort of the avenue for that to happen. Uh, many of you know about this. It's, it's, it's popular. It's known as the prosperity gospel. And I was going to show you a, a couple YouTube clips of prosperity gospel preachers, but I, I thought I better not. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some good ones out there. Uh, but while they're entertaining, I concluded that they're not really that edifying. So I decided against it. You know, but if you happen to get bored one day, <laughs> you, can, you can do your own searching. You know, again, I'm going to stay out of it, but it's, you know, it's guys with initials like Joel Osteen and <laughs> Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar, you know, I mean, and seriously, what, what a name, Creflo Dollar, for a prosperity gospel guy, but that's neither here nor there. But these guys do try to tap into something biblical with the law of the harvest, but like I said, they pervert it, because it has nothing to do with personal financial prosperity. It has nothing to do with you or me getting rich financially. The goal is always to sow in order to reap spiritual blessings 
so that you can continue to give. That's, that's what we're going to see today. That's what we've seen in, in, in these chapters. God gives to us so that we will continue to give. In fact, if, you, if you're giving in order to receive, if that's your goal, then you're off base. We've, we've talked about that. You know, many of us are aware of the Apostle Paul's reminder to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 35, when he said, I've showed you all things, how that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and you might be interested to learn that, that those words of Jesus are not found in any of the four Gospels, you know, where, where he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Well, you don't find those in the Gospel, and yet Paul quotes them as though they were well known, as undoubtedly they were, and I suspect had frequently been used by Jesus in his days on this earth. And, and that's what prosperity is about. It's actually about giving and giving back, giving back to the Lord. And that's what we're going to see in this, in this final section of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is faithful in the law of harvest. If he knows he has a giver, he'll give to you. But it's not, again, it's not for your personal financial gain. It's for him to be a conduit uh, to work through you. So let's look at it together and then we'll get into our study. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. Coming right off of verse 7 of how God loves a cheerful giver, we read, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he had dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the, the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God. For his unspeakable gift. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then, then we'll get into our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. We are uh, so grateful for, for the gift that you have given to us in eternal life. And, and um, Lord, you are, you are uh, the best gift giver there is. And Lord, I, I just pray that as we finish out this study today, Lord, that, that you will show that uh, to those here. You'll show that especially if there's someone here that doesn't know you. They'll show you, uh, you'll show them uh, the gift that, that, you, that you've made available to them. Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning. I pray that, that your spirit uh, works as only he can to teach, to convince, to convict. And Lord, that your word will do the work. Um, to, to glorify you. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, in, in this passage of Scripture, we get some truth about prosperity. And at the same time, uh, you know, a good summary of key biblical principles surrounding giving. Because when it comes to giving, and the truth about prosperity, and this is our first point this morning, we need to be trustful of God's ability. We need to be trustful of God's ability. We find this principle in verse 8. Paul says, again, after you, you give cheerfully and what, with the right attitude that God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And man, what an encouraging 
an exciting verse that is. And, and again, it's related to the law of the harvest that Jeff defined for us last week. And I'm, so I'm not going to take the time to go over that again. If you missed last week, you should go back and listen to that. That's important. What I want you to see is that when you give biblically, you can trust that God is going to do right by that gift and he is going to do right by you. Why? Because God is able. So what a phrase that is. Let's just think about those three words. God is able. Man, I, I love it. And just look at what he is able to do. He is able to make all grace abound. So that, so that we, as sons of God, always have all sufficiency in all things. And that we abound to every good work. And we're not even there yet, but verse 11 also says that we, we, will, we will be enriched in everything to all bountifulness. Just think about the superlatives, the universals of, of those verses. The alls, the everies, the abounding. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty solid. There's some good stuff in there. But, but verse 8, as it relates to the truth about prosperity, doesn't mean... That God will make every Christian who gives wealthy in material things. But it does mean this. It means that the Christian who participates in biblical giving will always have what they need when they need it. You can trust in that because God is able. That is a promise that you have in Scripture. We've read Matthew 6.33 in this series, but it's worth looking at again. Many of you know it. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And you may ask, well, what things? What things will be added unto us? Because Jesus says all these things will be added to you. What are the things that he's talking about? Well, it's the things he was talking about in the preceding verses. Bible study is always about context. Back in verse 31, he says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's the things that you need when you need it. You see, God is able to take care of you. And you need to trust that. Because too many times, we want to take care of ourselves. Especially when it comes to this area of giving. And we want to hoard our abundance just in case. Or, or just because we're selfish. And if truth be told, we think Acts 20.35 should, should read in reverse and say it's more blessed to receive than to give. But here's the problem, and, and this is more truth about prosperity. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, what an awesome verse. God is able. He's able to make everything, all, all sufficiency, abound into every good work. He's able to do all this. But that verse, verse 8, is conditional. And you can only apply that verse to your life if you're actually living out verse 7. And that you're a cheerful giver, a giving with the right attitude. Then God's able to do all this stuff in you. 
And if you decide that you are not going to trust in God's ability, which you have that free will to do, and you want to, to trust in your own ability and, and remain in that level of selfishness, guess what? God will let you. He'll let you do it, and he'll let you take care of yourself. But why would you do that? Because it turns out, you, me, we are not able. Even if you think you are. Listen, you are one job loss, one bad diagnosis, one natural disaster, or one innocent mistake away from not being able to take care of yourself at all. So put your trust in the one who can, into the one who is absolutely able, no matter what happens. And we know this is true because he promised it in this passage. So the, the question is, do you believe he has the power to do what he said he will do? Do you have enough faith to trust him? I hope you do. Because brothers and sisters, I want you to know this this morning, maybe above anything else I talk about, that God is able. And listen, I even understand, I personally understand some of the difficulty. Sometimes in the context of giving generously, it can feel risky. And giving away what you have can appear foolhardy if you don't understand the power of God and you don't believe that he is able. So if this concept of biblical giving stresses you out, can I remind you of the admonition that Paul gave to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5? He said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but what? In the power of God. You see, if your faith stands in the wisdom of men, which is, you know, an oxymoron, by the way, but let's just, for, for, for you know, lack of better terminology, let's just say if, you, if your faith stands in the wisdom of men, then you're not going to be a biblical giver because men will tell you that's how you have less, <laughs> right? If you give something away, you don't have it anymore, right? That's not brain surgery. But God says that giving is actually how you have more. It's another one of the many biblical paradoxes of the Christian life. So your faith has to stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men or you won't get this. Like God intends for you to get it. And listen, God's ability has been tested throughout redemptive history, throughout the pages of Scripture. Men who put their life on the line because they trusted and believed with all their heart that God was able. My mind immediately, it goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they told Nebuchadnezzar, that they weren't going to bow down to, to the golden image he had set up. As they were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down. As they were willing to give their life for their God. And in Daniel 3.17 they said this. Speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. Out of thine hand, O king. Now they go on to say, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. But they knew he was able to, and they trusted in that. And if he chose not to, they were okay with it because God's always good, but they knew he was able, and they trusted in his ability. I also think of young David. 
as he stood up to, to, to the Philistine giant Goliath. King Saul didn't think much of David's ability to defeat Goliath. He even told David that in, in 1 Samuel 17.33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But listen, David wasn't trusting in his own ability. David knew that he wasn't able. He was trusting in God's ability. You see that down in verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. He knew God was able. And those are just a couple easy examples, very famous examples. And there are so many others throughout Scripture. In fact, do you know how able God is? I mean, Paul gives us a little bit of insight into it in Ephesians 3.20. It says, now unto him that is able. Able to do what, Paul? Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. And listen, I don't know about you, but I can ask for a lot. And I can think about even more. Well, God is able to do exceeding abundantly and above all of it. You remember what, what Matthew 19, 26 says? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Because he is able. Like Genesis 18, 14 asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously no. And you need to believe that this morning. And listen, if you're willing to trust him with your eternal life, why won't you trust him with this temporal life? Does that make any sense at all? If you... Give to God in a cheerful way with the right attitude. If you apply 2 Corinthians 9, 7, then you can claim the promise of 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And he will give back to you every time. Because God's faithful and God's able. But again, it isn't just for your own personal gain. He'll give back to you so that you can be a conduit of God's grace to others. It's what this is all about, and this leads to our second point and where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. So we just saw that, that we need to be trustful of God's ability, but listen, you know this just as well as I do. That's never really the question. The question is never, can you trust God? The question is always, can God trust you? So our second point is, you need to be trustworthy in your abundance. You need to be trustful of God's ability, but, but we know that's going to work. You need to be trustworthy in your abundance. And in this point, we're going to dive a little bit deeper and look at some specifics in these verses. And this really starts out at the end of verse 8 and goes all the way down through verse 14. So let's, let's read that. It's a long section of Scripture, but let's read it again. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, and that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Okay, so we're going to get into that, but that's what, God, that's what God is saying. Listen, I'm able to give back to you. I'm able to apply the law of the harvest to your life so that ye may abound unto every good work. We're going to define this for you. 
Then verse 9, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. That's speaking about God doing that. Being rich in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth uh, through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Now there's, there's a lot in here, and so we're... We're not going to get to all of it, but we're going to move through, I think, some of, some of the important things. But again, at the end of verse 8, we see that God gives liberally to us so that we may abound to every good work. See, God gives back to you so that you can keep giving. And again, you know, the, the immediate context is, is financial giving. But I'm going to say this over and over again. This applies to all aspects of life. God gives us a lot of things that, you know, don't, don't apply to our finances. I mean, you know, God, just the grace that God gives us in life. And, and we're to be a conduit of that. And we're to give that out to others and so that they can experience God's grace in all areas of life, including financial things. Okay, so that, that's what we're talking about. And so we are to be trustworthy in the abundance that God has given to us. And this is nothing new. You've seen this all throughout Scripture. Back to Deuteronomy 15, you, you see this same concept. And the context of, of Deuteronomy 15 is being generous with the poor and setting them free from their debts every seven years. This is something in the law. And down in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 15, we read, Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Okay, this is not grieved. What's, what's that mean? It means you're cheerful, right? You're not grieved uh, when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing... The Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. And so that's a great cross-reference to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Give with the right heart, with the right attitude, and it's going to be given back to you and counted by the Lord as a good work. And good works are, are very important to us because they are related to our righteousness. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to this is where we're going to, we're going to dive a little bit deeper, okay? So just stick with me. We're going, to, we're going to get into some things here. But this is really why we have to get biblical giving right. The giving of our time, of our talents, and our treasure. It's why we need to be trustworthy in this arena. And that connection to righteousness is what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, right? So I want you to notice the colon at the end of verse 8. So that means it's defined by, you know, abound into every good work is going to be defined by what we see next. And then in beginning of verse 9, we see a parenthesis, right? That doesn't end till the end of verse 10. So verses 9 and 10 give us some, some definition uh, into what it means to abound in every good work. And so we see in verse 9, it says, As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. And that was written, by the way, in Psalm 112, verse 9. And again, it connects giving with righteousness. Okay, then in verse 10, it says, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Okay, so when we give, God increases the fruits of our righteousness. Now, as always, we have to understand context. So, so let me try to explain this for you. 
Because when it comes to our salvation, Christ alone, Christ himself is our righteousness. Okay, there's no doubt about that. There are many verses. One that I'll read you is Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Okay, so, so that's salvation. And, and for our salvation, we can't work for it. There, there are no good works that we can do that applies that goes for our salvation. But apart from salvation, we do have works. Now, our works before salvation, they weren't worth anything because we can't earn our way to heaven. The Bible says all our righteousness, all our works, there is filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, verse 6. That's before we're saved. But when it comes to our works after salvation, look at what Ephesians 2.10 says, right? Coming right after those, you know, for by grace he saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Then we see verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, in good works. We see the same principle in Titus 3, 8. And this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God, all right, so you're already saved. Who believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So those good works after we're saved are counted for our righteousness. You see, the Christian as a body of righteousness separate, separate from Christ's righteousness. And that is a righteousness based upon works. Verse 9 in our context is a prime example. Whenever you help out a poor Christian or a needy Christian, the Lord puts that act down as your righteousness. And again, it has to come from the right heart, the right motive. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. And here's the thing about righteousness. Both Christ's righteousness and our righteousness, they're, they're tied to clothing. Okay, this, this is where it gets interesting. They're tied to clothing. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Psalm 132, verse 9. says, Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness. Let thy saints shout for joy. Isaiah 61, verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh him, himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. And listen, I, I don't pretend to understand all the ins and outs of this, but, but let me explain to you what, what I think I do understand. In the life of a Christian, we have our doctrinal standing in the righteousness of Christ. You're clothed with his righteousness as God looks on you. And when God looks on you, what's he see? He sees Christ. So he sees holiness. He sees perfection. I mean, praise the Lord for our, our standing that we have in Christ. Those are some of the verses we've, we've just read. But we also have a practical aspect to our righteousness tied to what we do in this body as a Christian after we are saved. I want you to see what Revelation 9, 19 verses 7 and 8 say. 
And they're talking about us as the bride of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So, so do, do, do you see what is happening here? Do you catch what that says at the end of verse 8? What we'll be wearing at our marriage with Christ, that the fine linen is not the righteousness of Christ. It's the righteousness of saints. It's, it's from what we do. So again, I, I don't pretend to understand all the details of, of this, but, but listen. Christ's righteousness, there's no doubt it gets us to heaven. I'll give you another verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But once we get there, our works on this earth will provide the clothing for our spiritual body. And how nice your clothes are depends on what you do and what you give down here. Out of a heart of love for Christ and his saints. And that should help you get a better understanding of the judgment seat of Christ. Where, what are we going to be judged for? Our works. Not our sins. Not the judgment seat of Christ. Our sins were all paid for on Calvary's cross. Past, present, future. We will face a judgment as a believer. We will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to judge us for our works, whether they be good or bad. The motive, the sort, the Bible says, of what they are. And they're all going to be tried by fire. And those done with the right of the right sort, with the right heart attitude, cheerfully, according to what the Bible has to say, those done in the Spirit, you know what? They're going to be purified, and they're going to be beautified. But those done in the flesh, those done with the wrong attitude, they're going to be burned, and they're going to be destroyed. And the Bible says there will be people at the judgment seat that will suffer loss. Now, they'll still be saved. Yet so as by fire. And they're going to suffer loss because their works will be burned and therefore can't be used as clothing at the marriage supper and beyond. It's why God gives this strong admonition to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.18. And, and, and it's, it's sort of like a last ditch effort. And he says, you guys got to listen to me. I'm going to counsel thee. That's a strong word. That's a strong biblical word. This is the counsel. You know, a lot of people come in for counseling. We talk about a lot of different things. You can get some counsel straight from the Lord. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear. And anoint thine eyes with Isaph, that thou mayest see. It's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Listen, 
And I'm going to stop there, but listen, if all our works, if all our righteousness is burned at the judgment seat of Christ and we have nothing to show, there's going to be shame in that day. So I hope you see that your giving, your good works are important and God sets you up for success. He says, listen, if you do it my way, you will abound to every good work. You'll not just have a few here and there. You will abound unto every good work. I'm going to set you up for success. You just have to follow my path. And again, this doesn't only apply to financial giving. This is all areas of life. This is how you give of yourself in every area. Like I've already said, of your time, of your talents, of your treasure. My suggestion is you've given all of them. Listen, Christ has freely and abundantly given to us. So in return, we need to be trustworthy in our abundance. And we all have abundance. We all have abundance somewhere. Everybody in Christ has some abundance. And it's been given to us so that we can faithfully give it out to others in need. Again, in all areas of life. Maybe you don't have abundance in finances. I mean, you're an American, so you probably do. But even if not, that's fine. Be willing to give what you have. Wherever you have it. Where do you have abundance? Give it. We've already learned all about this in chapter 8. And really, and, and, and really, that, that is the bottom line. It's the bottom line of all of us. That's the bottom line of this point. So if you didn't follow me, maybe you're new around here or whatever, and you didn't follow, you weren't really tracking with me on that discussion involving righteousness and clothing and getting married to Christ, if that is like, whoa, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about, listen, that's fine. It's okay. Now, if you didn't understand it, you should keep coming, and you should get discipled, and you should go to MTT, and you should do all that, and you're going to learn some, you're going to learn some things. You should do all that. But if you're not there yet, that's fine. All you need to understand is that God is always going to be faithful to you, that God is able. You can trust him in that. So be trustworthy in return. Be generous with others and give out the grace that God has shown to you. Because it's not just about this life. It's going to have an impact on the life to come as well. Because if you're not doing that, if you're not being generous with what God has given you, then you are essentially stealing from God because he did not give you these great gifts so that you could keep them for yourself. That is what false teachers teach. It's what false teachers say. That it's for you. And that God's, all these blessings that God's giving you is because he wants you to be rich. How many you don't find it in the Bible? You know, we've looked at the parable in Luke 19, right, where the nobleman, the nobleman gave his servants a pound, and then, you know, they were to go invest them, they were to sow them, right? And those that sowed it, they were rewarded. Okay, think judgment seat of Christ in this parable in Luke 19, which is a parable of the pound, by the way, and not a parable of the talent that you find in the book of Matthew, for whatever that's worth to you guys. Think judgment seat as you sow what God's given you. He's able to make all grace abound unto every good work. Right? So you'll reap a reward, a reward. But the one who did it, what happened? What happened to the one who didn't? 
pound was taken away from him. Maybe he suffered loss. He started with a pound. He ended with nothing. He suffered loss. Again, think judgment seat. See, God expects us to do something with what he gives us. So if you're not, you're stealing from him. That's not his intention. And if that's the case, you should repent. You should apply Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So if he has been good to you, and I know he has, by the way, then you should be good to him as you do good to others. And when you do that, and when you're trustworthy in your abundance, it accomplishes three things. First of all, very practically, it helps others. We've seen this throughout both chapters. There's a very practical need There was a very practical need to help the saints in Jerusalem. It's what the giving project that Paul's talking about in these two chapters was all about. And Paul reiterates this again at the beginning of verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints. He's saying this helps. This this helps them. And by the way, I think you know this, but but that want there means need. It's, It's not want as we define it in our culture today. I I want a lot of things that I don't need. I suspect the same could be said of you. I'm not going to go there. That would leave preaching and get into meddling. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But the point is, this was a legitimate need, and their giving helped the saints in Jerusalem. And this is just something that as Christians we all should do. We should all be in the business of helping others. However we can, Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And obviously, people's biggest need is spiritual. I mean, this is where this gets flipped. And and so you got all these guys that take true biblical principles and they turn them on their heads. And so you end up with a prosperity gospel from the law of harvest on, on this concept of, of God giving so that, that, that you can giving to you so that you can give people flip it on their head and they turn it into a social gospel and and while it's it's great to do good things that's again that's the immediate context of this passage we should give financially to help those in need that's ultimately not anyone's greatest need their greatest need is spiritual their greatest need is they need to be in Christ And guess what? If you are in Christ, you can help somebody else fill that need. How? By being a conduit of the grace that God has given to you. By sharing your faith. By giving. We can help fill that need. We can share Christ with others. We can give what we have. But again, we should help in in all ways minister to those already in Christ to help out in certain areas, to lend a helping hand, to minister, to do what they can't. And we saw 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18 last week, but man, it fits again. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. 
Not, not just in uncertain riches, but re, be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Hebrews 13, 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God likes it when we help others. So, you know, hey, you get to do something God likes. And that's a pretty good thing. Okay, then second, not only it helps others, our trustworthiness in this area, it, it also accomplishes this. It honors God. These are very simple, very practical. We see in verse 11 and in verse 12, and we won't take the time uh, to read them again, but in verse 11 and in verse 12, it causes thanksgiving to God. And then in verse 13, it causes God to be glorified. And listen, that's what our life is to be about. Like we saw last week, it should be the ultimate purpose of why we give, to, to bring God pleasure. That's Revelation 4.11, that's Luke 12.32, many other verses. But here, here's the point. How great is it to be able to bring honor and glory to God in something that we do? So you have the ability to honor God with your life. And, and through that, bring glory to him. Like, how cool is that? Like, us, in, I mean, listen, you know you, I know me. Right. Ain't much good in us other than, other, other than Christ. Amen. And yet... God gives you the ability to bring glory to him just by being faithful to what he's asked us to do. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And this is really the beauty of biblical giving. No individual gets the glory that only belongs to God. I mean, that's what's so great about you know, the context of a local church. Listen, you know, it's kind of like God knew what he was doing, you know, setting things up. Imagine that. But, you know, we have this huge offering come in. And, and some gave a little, some gave a lot. Some, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Nobody is, no one person is getting the glory. You know who's getting the glory? God. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory. That's awesome. But here's just how great God is. Because while our biblical giving shouldn't bring us glory, and we certainly shouldn't do it for that reason, it doesn't mean that we don't benefit from it. Because we do. Because third, in addition to helping others and honoring God, it also helps you. Certainly in the life to come. Right? We already talked about that. And our, right, our good works as righteousness. Uh, but it helps down here too. Again, this is the, the, the concept or the, or the principle of sowing and reaping at its finest. Because 2 Corinthians 9.14 says that when you give, it prompts the receiver to pray for you. And let me just tell you, you benefit from that. So I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to go on, on many missions trips all over the world. And, and there's, a, there's a couple constants that you see and things like that. And so, you know, I may go and may preach or minister or, or whatever. And, and, and what I've seen consistently are a couple things, you know, God getting glory through that work. And then people that literally have nothing, and they have nothing to give except this. And they'll come up to you and say, oh, pastor, I'm praying for you. It's like, how humbling is that? But, but I know they mean it. Because it's, it's what they have to give. 
And they do it faithfully. And that is always humbling, but what a beautiful thing we have in the family of God. And when people pray for you, you become the beneficiary of the blessing of God in ways that you perhaps will never fully know until you get to glory. But heaven opens up and and pours out blessings in ways that you could never identify or even suspect because people are praying for you. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And again, this shouldn't be the reason for your giving, but what a great benefit it is. And how good God is to bring everything into full circle. He works everything out perfectly. And that brings us to our last point this morning. Because the truth about prosperity is not what we can gain financially. It's, it's about what we already have in Christ. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. If you have Christ, you don't need anything else. And there's so many things the Bible talks about that happens to us at the moment of salvation. We're made a joint heir. We're placed in Christ. We're given an inheritance. We're made an inheritance. It just goes on and on and on. That happens to us in Christ. We don't need, we, we lack for nothing at the point we're placed in Christ. So point three is you should be thankful for God's actions. Look at the last verse of this chapter, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And what a great way to end this section of Scripture on, on giving. Because this is really what it's all about. We give because he gave, and he still gives. And our giving should just be a natural outpouring of our thanksgiving to him for everything he's done, for all of his actions. But listen, there is one action that stands above everything else. The unspeakable gift that he gave was Jesus. And that's the source of all giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? There's all sorts of things he does. All sorts of actions we should be thankful for. There's one that stands above it all. And because of that incredible gift, we can have eternal life with him. So Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, what a gift giver God is. And because of that reason alone, we should be too. Out of thanksgiving to him. Matthew 10, 8 tells us, freely ye have received, freely give. Again, it's the source, it's the reason why. But I want to take a second, and I want to hang on that phrase, unspeakable gift. Now, that term unspeakable, it, it obviously doesn't mean that we, we aren't allowed to speak about it. The gift is Jesus. We're actually commanded to speak about it. It's the only time, you, so the, the, the Greek word that's translated unspeakable, it's the only time you find it in your Bible. So there are, you know, aren't a ton of other cross-references, but it means indescribable. It, it literally means words fail, unspeakable. 
It's like words, you know, words fail me. And it's the concept of constant awe. And we've deleted, we've diluted, not deleted, we've diluted the word awesome in our culture, but that really has a very powerful meaning in its truest form. And I think sometimes in the midst of our busyness, even our busyness for the Lord, we lose that awe that we are to have for Him. That we're to consider that gift. Listen, Paul in 2 Corinthians is writing to Christians. And he's reminding them of the unspeakable gift. And, and I think we lose the all we have for him. And, and, and in doing so, we lose the all we are to have for his word. I mean, the unspeakable gift is Jesus, right? We know that Jesus is the word, right? Capital W. And, and what we hold in our hands, what we hold in, in this Bible, is just as real. And it's just as much the literal word and words of God as Jesus was and is. And so the question on the floor, as we look at this Bible that we hold in our hands, as you consider what Jesus means to you, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about the small w word, the capital W word? Do words fail when you try to describe the thanksgiving you have. Can you honestly say like David in Psalm 119 verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. But my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Because when you lose sight of that. When you lose sight of, 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 of the, the unspeakableness to what God has done for you. Then you don't end up giving for the right reasons. Or the right reason, singular. And what I'm afraid of is that God has done so much for us that we've lost the awe. And we take for granted what should be unspeakable. And we go through life in in the presence of God Almighty and with the actual words preserved for us in the English language of God Almighty and we, we don't recognize it as such. And we see God working and giving and pouring out His grace. And yet, we don't participate in giving back because we're not as thankful as we should be. And when we do that, we miss the point of all of it. And we get caught up in like the blessings around the gift. And miss the whole reason why the gift was given in the first place. So that you, so that I can be givers too. So that we can partake in that holy calling of evangelism and making disciples. Let me try to illustrate that for you. In 1997, uh, Reeve Lindbergh, is the daughter of, of famous aviator Charles Lindbergh. She was invited to give the annual Lindbergh Address at the Smithsonian Institute's Air and Space Museum. This was to commemorate the 70th anniversary of her, of her father's historic solo flight across the Atlantic. And on the day of the speech, she was invited by the museum officials to come in early uh, before the facility opened so that she could have a, a close-up look of the spirit of St. Louis. That was the plane her father flew on. And so she had seen it before, but she had never. They, they actually allowed her to go up. So she brings her son. Her, her son's name was Ben, and they were they climb on a cherry picker, you know, like a lift crane, 
and, and they carried them up to the point of the cockpit of the plane where it was eye level. So she could see and, and, and touch the plane. She's able to run her fingers across the door handle that her, her father had used to enter the plane. And so seeing the plane that, that her, her father had so bravely flown across the sea, it was, it was an emotional experience for her. And she became overcome with emotion and, and she began crying and she turned to her son and said, Ben, isn't this amazing? And he replied very enthusiastically and said, yeah, mom, this is amazing. I've never been on a cherry picker before. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I think young Ben maybe missed the point, but the, but the question for us is how many times do we miss it? And we have God's words right in front of us. And we're able to, to speak to God Almighty through, through prayer and hear him literally speak to us through his very words that we hold in our hands. And we miss that and get caught up in all the other stuff around us. Man, what a shame. God give, gives this to us so that we can understand the, who he is and understand his grace so that we can give it out. It's why we're here. It's what we're a part of. And we don't end up giving for the right reasons because we lose focus of what's important. Let's not do that. Let's get back to the all. Let's get back to the thankfulness. Because that brings us back into conformance to Christ. And that should be our goal. And that will make you a biblical giver. Because again, here's the foundation for all biblical giving. God gave Christ. And when he did that, he sowed a seed. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And God planted the seed, and it died and rose again, and we have the opportunity to live because of it. And that makes it possible for us to then sow and reap. And we are like God most when we give voluntarily, sacrificially, and joyfully the way he gave, purely out of love. That's what following Christ is about. It's what Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So let me ask you, do you love him for that gift? Are you thankful? And if so, then give back. It's what the Corinthians did. And listen, that church was a mess. I mean, they got some things worked out between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But, but they were a mess, and if they can figure this out, we can too. And, and again, most of you do. Most of you have it figured out. And man, seriously, praise the Lord. But we all should always evaluate ourselves. And, and I said the Corinthians figured it out. You might say, listen, how do you know the Corinthians actually figured it out? How do you know they were faithful to give? We don't, we don't necessarily see it here. In this passage, and you're right, we don't see it here, but we do see it in the book of Romans. In Romans 15, verses 25 and 26, we see Paul saying, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. That's what they were collecting for. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia, like he had already talked to the Corinthians about the Macedonians, and of Achaia, that's in southern Greece where Corinth is located, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints, which are at Jerusalem. Paul was taking it to them. So they did it. They were faithful. And I'm sure they prospered because of it, because that's the truth of prosperity. This is exactly how you prosper in this life and in this life to come. You trust in God's ability. You, you are trustworthy in your abundance. And then you're thankful for God acting on your behalf. 
And again, you may not ever see financial wealth, but who cares? It's not what it's about. It's about eternal rewards. It's about being righteous through your good works of giving. It's about glorifying God in the process. So the last question on the table is this. The Corinthians did it, will you? Will you quit trying to control everything yourself and place your faith and trust in God? And let me just say here, we talked a lot about God's gift of Jesus this morning. And if you've never placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins, let me beg you to consider that this morning. There's only one way to heaven. And Jesus saith unto them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Will you place your faith in Jesus this morning for the forgiveness of your sins? I pray that you do that. And he, he didn't make it difficult. All you have to do is pray and ask God in faith to save you. Let him know that you believe and trust in, in the work that his son did for you. And it's not the specific words that save you, it's the heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if you have any questions about that, come ask us. We'd love to help you. If you say that prayer this morning, come let us know because we'd love to rejoice with you. But for the rest of us, those that are already saved, if you haven't done so, will you give your life over to him fully today? Will you make the day you decide to be a biblical giver in all areas of life with your time, your talents, and your treasure? And I only ask because I want it for you. Because I know it's what's good for you. It's what he deserves but it's what you need. And I love you. And I'm grateful to God for all of you. And I want the best for you. So let's do it right together. I'm going to pray and the praise team is going to come back up for one final song. And, and as always, this is your time to commune with the Lord.